result really good heart. Third category where the seed is sown, but into the soil there's also wheat. He talks about things that can grow up and, and choke the word of God. The seed is, is the gospel, the good news. The soil is our hearts. And these weeds can be things that, that grow up and they choke what God was doing in our lives. He, he mentions a few things. One of them is the worries of this age. The things that get us down in life. The things that just weigh heavily on us that won't be weighing heavily on us in the next age. <laughs> and with so much talk um, and things being written and spoken about in terms of anxiety, so many people struggling with anxiety now, um, so many different forms of anxiety, panic attacks, stress, depression, all these things kind of linked. And it's been, you know, it's been spoken about so much more cases of um, anxiety among children um, exponentially growing. We thought, you know what, we need to speak into this and, and, and just speak, speak the truth of Jesus into these various things that can lead us to being very anxious. Um, and so just, you know, thought, what are the, what are the main things that worry people? And um, I think genuinely at the moment, for a lot of people, maybe particularly younger people, this is a real big one, uh, climate change. Um, it's not just the planet that's hotting up, if it is, it's not just the planet, passions are rising as well. And we are becoming more and more familiar with certain individual symbols, groups that we, that we never would have heard of a year or two ago, Extinction Rebellion would have been probably a sci-fi movie two years ago or something like that. Now now we see on our news screens whole cities being brought to a standstill and I don't know about, I found myself caught up in an Extinction Rebellion march at Waterloo Bridge a few months ago and it's quite an experience. Um, so new thing, Greta Thunberg. Um, we didn't, we didn't know who this teenager from Sweden was, did we, about a year or two ago? And now she's hit the headlines and uh, we would all recognise, well, most of us would. I don't know if any of you saw the thing on the news, the, the, the thing about the celebrity mastermind. Did you see that? The celebrity mastermind where um, a celebrity was uh, <laughs> asked to name the teenage climate activist and um, she had no idea. So she went silent for a few minutes, a few seconds, and said, Tracy? <laughs> At which point, Peter Thunberg changed her name to Tracy on her social media, which was a great move. But none of us would have known of her. We, we, we weren't familiar uh, with, with her, who she was. Um, the whole idea of Planet B, no Planet B, um, Australian bushfires, Tracking and potential man-made earthquakes. All of these things feature in our news a lot and can play on our minds. And I wanted us to, I just felt so important, let's look at what the Bible teaches about these things. I'm going to build from the ground up. It's going to be a relatively short sermon. I'm going to build from the ground up. Short sermon, but that's short. <laughs> Followed by probably an application of a similar length. And then some Q&A. Okay, then we're going to try and see how we do the time. So I just want to lay some foundations. I'm not going to detail today, but I want to lay foundations on this so we understand the general idea. There's, there's a few scriptures we're going, that we're going to go to, so they won't be all coming up on the screen. So if you have a Bible on the phone or uh, one of these ones, um, have you heard that? Have you seen this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in paper too. Uh, uh, then you can, you can turn to that. We'll, we'll start in uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter one. Just make some foundational points. Okay, it's going to be pretty basic. But really, really important because you have to know your foundations if you're going to be able to interpret these things correctly. And, uh, so Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. 
reading from the English Standard Version. It shouldn't take many of you long to find this. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us, make, let, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, hold that thought. And then we're going to go to Psalm 24, verse 1. Just one verse, so you may just want to listen to the Bible and try and find it. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. The world and those who dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, or and the fullness thereof. So what we've got is a situation where, number one, God creates all things. All of Genesis 1 up to that point is God creating everything, and the Bible is clear that it belongs to him. Right? So he creates it and it belongs to him, but he entrusts dominion or he entrusts authority over it to the man and the woman. It's very important. And at no point does it become theirs, it's his, but he entrusts authority to them. Okay? So it's about stewardship. It's not ours, it's his. But we have authority and very much stewardship. And when God gives authority, it's really real. So that what you do with it has consequences and really makes a difference. Yeah. Okay, so what I'm trying to the point I'm trying to make here is that you can go wrong two ways with creation. Number one, you can say it's divine. The idea that creation is God. The idea, yeah, God is everything. God is every, God. God is everything. You know, and there, there are certain scriptures that can. You think, oh, is it saying that? It's not saying that. What, what, what the scripture is clear that God is outside of His creation, and yet He fills it with His omnipresence. Okay, but creation isn't God. It's not divine. Because of that, it's not to be worshipped. Because it's not God. It's not. It's part of the created order as we are. Whenever we worship the created instead of the Creator, we get into trouble. Okay? dead ends all the time. So it's it's not divine. The other way we go wrong is that we just think, well, okay, then we do what we like. So we think it's utilitarian. Wherever, wherever we can get out of it, let's get out of it for our good, for our good and for our use. Um, that is that is not right either. That is careless, irresponsible, and ungodly. Why? Because it's not ours to do what we like with it. It's his. And it's ours to steward on his behalf. And he's good. And the Bible says he delights in the works of his hands. He delights in his creation. And so if we've been entrusted with authority, then we are to steward creation in a way that is pleasing to him, in a way that is life-giving and causes creation to flourish. So it's not divine, and it's not utilitarian, but it's sacred. Okay? It's sacred. It's the Lord's. So okay, we've got to really take this very, very very, very seriously. Stewardship is a very important one. If you're not familiar with the idea of stewardship or the concept of it, you can go wrong in so many ways because nothing belongs to us, everything is the Lord's, and all that we have is, is, is ours to steward on his behalf. Whether that's our physical resources, our financial resources, our time. It's all it's it's all his, but we have we we've been entrusted with it, and it's an entrustment for us to steward well. To bring life in what he's given us. That makes sense. Yeah. It's really ever so important. Let me get to Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, the man and the woman, they've been entrusted with rule over creation on his behalf. So under his lordship, they steward creation. 
In Genesis 3, they turn away from his lordship. So in Genesis 3, humanity makes a bid for independence, doesn't really want to know God anymore, and it demonstrates that by disobeying his command not to eat from the forbidden tree, really just following their own desires and their own longings instead of trusting him. So unbelief comes in, they give in to temptation, and they, 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 they move away from God, and then out of guilt and shame and fear, they hide from God's presence, so, so God brings judgment to them. And just to say quickly on this, the judgment of God is a beautiful Another word for judgment is justice. You're not to see them as different things. The judgment of God is God putting right what's been gone wrong. And the consequences of that. So it's a good thing. And he brings, and it's, it's not always an easy thing. But it's 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 about God saying, oh, this has got this has gone wrong, I'm gonna put this right. And so in Genesis chapter 3, he says to the man, he says, because you've listened to that, he's already he's cursed uh, the serpent, he's he, or judged the serpent, he's judged the woman. Then he judges the man, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Okay? Cursed is the ground. In pain you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth to you. You shall eat the you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what's happening here is that God is saying, because you've turned away from me, your relationship with creation is now skewed. You can only have a harmonious relationship with creation if your relationship with God is right. Because it's his. And so we've turned away, and so God says, okay, things are going to be out of kilter now. And now if we turn to Romans 8, this is is really heavy on scripture, this section of the sermon, but I'm trying to just set the scene. Romans chapter 8, very, very, very important scriptures, verses 20 to 21. Can't find it. Don't worry. Just listen, and I will. Um, I'll endeavour to read it and make it as clear as possible. It's very, very important. For the creation, planet, for the whole of creation. For the creation, verse twenty of chapter eight was subjected to futility. So creation was subjected to that word. Futility means it's, it. It doesn't work like it should work. Okay. It should work in this way. It doesn't quite work as it should work in way. You're subjected to it, not willingly, i.e. creation didn't choose for this to happen, okay? but because of him who subjected it, that's God, Genesis 3, in hope. So it's not in despair. It's not, oh, things are going to be ruined forever. In hope that the creation itself, listen to this, will be set free from its bondage to decay, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What they're saying is there's a day coming when Jesus Christ will be revealed, and on that day, the children of God will be revealed. Those who have put their faith in Christ will also be revealed in all their glory, and in that moment, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay, and we will, we will, and what will come forth, will come out, is a new or a renewed heavens and earth. It's ever so important. If you don't understand that, then you won't walk the, walk the journey right on climate change. Okay? It's really, really important you understand. At the moment, creation itself is under, is under a curse, if you like, of futility. God's put it under it as a result of mankind's rebellion. But not, not to be mean, but in hope that when those whom God gave to be in authority over creation, i.e. humans, when humans in Christ are fully revealed, then the creation can be fully revealed in its true glory. 
And it's this dispute over whether the word means a brand new heavens and a new earth or a renewed. Doesn't really matter, to be honest with you. You know, just like to argue over things sometimes, don't really matter. But a brand new, no longer under any futility that works absolutely perfectly and is not vulnerable in any way. Okay? So that's just trying to set the scene to help you to understand what's going on there. Man, so God puts man over creation, mankind, to rule it on his behalf, stewardship. Mankind rebels. He and all under his care come under judgment. Um, and uh, he described as futility, and that includes the creation. Um, doesn't function as it should, but there's hope. And what you notice is, in, in moments of judgment in Scripture, in, in moments of the darkest, most terrible judgment, there's always a strand of gold you can find through of hope. Always. Because the heart of God is always to redeem and restore my good. Yeah. Okay? So even when God has to bring judgment because of, because of terrible things that people have done, you'll always find the strand of gold where God's just about to destroy entirely, and then you see this compassion. Ah, but! And this, this longing of God to put things right. And so we see that even though God has put creation under futility, it's waiting for a day. And, and that term in Romans 8, when it says that creation is longing, it says, um, it says there in verse 20, you know, verse 22, sorry, we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So creation, I'm not trying to say creation is kind of alive in the way that we are, conscious in the way that we are, but there's something in creation that is kind of, there's a longing, there's a knowing, there's something whereby creation knows there's a liberation that's to come. And some, some of the ways people interpret, uh, translate those words, it's like creation's on tiptoes, looking, longing, waiting for children of God to be revealed, because it, creation knows in that moment, boom. And that's when the Bible talks about things like the trees of the hills will clap their hands. And just this extraordinary imagery of creation knowing when its creator is liberating it mm. and things will be put right. Mm. So hallelujah, that's where it's going. I want to talk just quickly about the, the role of Jesus in all of this. It's ever so important because obviously God established the man and the woman, mankind, over creation. Now the thing about God is because his plans are perfect, there's never a plan B. So it won't, be that, it won't be that God said, okay, well, we tried mankind and didn't work, let's try something else. After Adam and Eve messed up, he chose Abraham and made him promises of global blessing. Not global warming, global blessing. Okay? He made Abraham a promise of God, through you and your seed, every nation on earth will be blessed. That is the promise of global blessing. Abraham's a father of the, of, of, of the Jewish nation. So Abraham and Isaac, Isaac and uh, Rebecca, Jacob, and, and his numbers of wives, and 12 sons, became the nation of Israel. And God said, yeah, this, na this nation is going to be a light to the nations, to show other nations what it can be like living under the rule of God. We know that Israel failed time and time again throughout the Old Testament. It's be a story of moments where it looked bright, but in the end, it, it, it became this lush soil, this vineyard that God says, Israel, my vineyard, this, this lush soil, it, it, it becomes parched ground. Boom. And it's holding Isaiah 53 like a root out of parched ground. Here it comes. Here it comes, the, 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 the true Israel, if you like. He says, when he says, I am the true vine, Testament Israel, my vineyard, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And so this the true, this true, this true fulfillment. I am Abraham, you know, Abraham's seeds, Christ, all pointed to him. Jesus comes. Number one, he demonstrates the lordship over creation. Mm. He walks on mm. he turns water into wine. He can't a storm. He's, part of what he's doing there is a signpost pointing to the fact that he is the son of man. 
He is the ultimate fulfillment of what mankind is to be. He's fully divine, he's fully, he's fully eternal and divine, but he's also fully man. And so he comes to represent, this is what humanity filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. And he demonstrates lordship over creation. Then at the cross, he absorbs in himself all of the curse by becoming a curse. So all of the horror and darkness, all of the, all of the justice that is due because of the wrong, the vile things that we have done and that we do, were absorbed in his body on the tree, the Bible says. And so he becomes a curse for us. And this is why, this is why when you're a believer, you're not looking over your shoulder thinking, is my past going to catch up with me one day? You're not looking over your shoulder thinking, I think I'm forgiven, but I'm not sure. You know that the, 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 the judgment for all the things that you've done wrong were absorbed in Christ. Yeah. That the price has been paid, that just, justice has been done. And the that's what says in one of those wonderful famous scenes, at the cross is where justice and mercy kiss. Yeah. Because God's holy justice and all the terrible things people do is, is satisfied at the cross. But at the same time, it's where mercy flows to us in the blood of Jesus. Because we get to live in the forgiveness and the righteousness that he deserves. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mm, Extraordinary mm. victory. Amen. Bible says he disarmed all of the dark powers at the cross. He put them to open shame. Completely dealt with it all. At his resurrection, we know for sure at that point that death is defeated and it's only a matter of time. Hallelujah. Amen. The Bible describes Jesus as the first fruits. In the old days, what would happen was you have the first fruits and you'd always offer the first fruits to the Lord. And the reason why you would is because it was a way of saying thank you, but also it was anticipation of if you've got the first fruits, the rest of the harvest is coming. You just knew it's going to be a good year. We've got the first fruits. And so the Bible describes Jesus as the first fruits of the resurrection. What you have in Jesus Christ is a new Adam. He's the head over a brand new humanity that God will establish over a brand new heaven and brand new earth. Yeah. That's where this is going. That's why there's this underlying triumph here this morning in our sadness. Sadie is so fine. She is so well. It's us that fill the loss. It's us that fill the gap. someone is born again, as they put their faith in Christ, something happens on the inside that is so radical and so powerful that when it says it, the Bible likens it to resurrection. And it says that even though our outer man or our, our outer body is decaying, mm. our inner man is being renewed day by day. Yeah. Because there's something of a different order that's happened on the inside where resurrection has begun. And so even though we get older and older and a little bit frailer and all of those things that we face as we get older, on the inside we get shinier and shinier, younger and younger and brighter and brighter if the Holy Spirit is working us. Yeah. Yeah. What a wonder. What a glory. But that's not all you see. Then it, then it also goes on to the whole of creation. 
So Jesus, the first fruits, then the rest are all, all, all who are in Christ, all who have trusted in him. And then one day, the new creation. And so we have that. We now have, we now have a man who will rule over the earth. And we also have labor pains. Now, we're gonna, what I'm going to do is read a short passage from Revelation 21 to get onto application. Like I said, I'm just giving you the bare bones of it today. You could say so much more, but I feel like this is the best way to approach it. Revelation 21, the first five verses. The Apostle John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Yeah. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Hallelujah. Write this down. This isn't just nice ideas. This isn't just, oh, this could cheer us up for a couple of hours. These words are trustworthy and true. I make all things new. Yeah. The word of God. Conclusion and applications. I want to say a few things about climate change as Christians, the best way to respond to where we find ourselves. Number one, while we live in this age, we are to look after the planet. That might sound obvious. But I've actually heard Christians say pretty careless things. Actually, no, no, no. And there's a number of reasons why we look after the planet. <clears throat> number one, still the Lord's, and humanity has been given stewardship over it. It's part of our responsibility as people. Yep. If you're going to have animals, look after them well. You're going to have land, do the best thing you can with it. Do the best with what you've got. Don't let things go to rack and ruin. Do your best to <coughs> do your best to steward as best you can what you have without falling into the trap of worshipping things that we know will rust, spoil, and fade. That makes sense? It's quite a line to walk. Some of us find it hard, more prone, some of us are more prone to leave things to rack and ruin, some of us are more prone to get too caught up with stuff. Somehow in the middle line there's a wisdom which says, I want to learn to be a good steward. This is yours, so I hold it lightly. This is yours, so it's for the good of others. I want to do well with it. Stewardship. And our planet, obviously, is part of that. So, you know, even little things like, you know, obviously all many of us have been disturbed and distressed to see the whole thing of the, the single-use plastic and the consequences of plastic in the ocean and all these other things we've been watching as they gosh, well, let's do what we can without becoming, um, without, what, the line that we're walking is, is that we're not expecting that if we do this, somehow this planet will last forever. That makes sense, did you hear that? With that, that, we are not in that camp. There is a planet B. You hear me? Yeah. It is a planet B. So we're not falling into that trap. Because if you do, it's a strange sort of form of unbelief. 
There is a plan for him, so there's a confidence. But we're called to be stewards, so we steward well. Make sense? But there's not this anxiety behind it. It's not that. So we're on schedule, God's got a plan. Number two, it's a prophetic point. It points towards something that will be. It points towards. As we live out these kinds of lives where we care about what's around us and we, 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 we look to invest the life of God and passion and purpose in it, it points towards the age to come. It, it, can, it can lift our hearts. It can remind us, if you like, of what's to come. It can be a pointer. It can be a prophetic people. Where the church is a prophetic outpost as as people are coming there, they're not supposed to see a bunch of people squabbling. They're not supposed to see a bunch of people that don't know what they believe. They're supposed to see something that makes them go, wow, what is that? That, that is, that's extraordinary. And so there's something about the way that you live that points people somewhere and shows them what goes back. And thirdly, we care about justice. And if you mess with the planet, then what often ends up happening somewhere down the line, somehow the poor are worse off as a result. Yeah. Because of the way things are set up. And so we've got to give thought to that and be wise in that and not just be reactive, but think it through. And it's good to talk about this and grow in wisdom um, because, you, you know, you can't, you can't fix everything. And if you look into anything enough, you'll find something imperfect with it. But it's a wisdom needed, but then nevertheless, if you know that you can see that something is clearly, you can clearly see where if I get involved in this and a direct knock-on for the worst of the poor, then you got to as a Christian we're beholden to stop it. Is there another one? So stewardship, prophetic pointer, and, and like the justice, that's why we that there's some reasons why it's important. Um, I want to say something on this whole idea, on this whole thing of are the Australian bushfires judgment from God? Yes and no. Let me explore. <laughs> what? <laughs> if you listen to my sermon for the last 20 minutes, you'd know why I said yes. None of, none of what goes on in this world is disconnected from the purposes of God. The whole of creation is under futility. Jesus describes things like wars and famines, so clearly man-made things and things that just look kind of not man-made. He describes them all as labour pains. Okay, so it is all part of creation being under a futility that God has placed it under in hope. Does that make sense? But what you mustn't start doing is saying this thing is happening to that nation because they're doing that. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's, yeah. This doesn't work. It really does. It just shows a it shows a superficial understanding. It shows you things like you haven't thought, thought things through. So recently, I'll you know just say this recently, just just say it. You know, the, the rugby player said, "Oh, the Australian bushfires are judgment on us, particularly specifically as a nation, because of our, that we have become really, really liberal uh, around the area of sort of homosexuality and things like that." All you have to do is look at a continent, for example. A continent like Africa, look at Eastern Africa, for example, countries like Kenya and Uganda that are extremely conservative about homosexuality, and you can, yeah, you can see they have plenty of natural disasters that they struggle with. You see what I'm saying? You, you, when you get into that, you just you're you're starting to say things that you just at least know what you believe biblically, but don't go down that road saying those things. It's just horrible. But God is involved in that. You need to understand spirit. You need to be able to process what's happening there spiritually. Well, there's probably been some bad stewardship. Probably some irresponsibility. Maybe some greed. 
Yeah, all of those things going on, but also within it, you can you can you can begin to use those things that you see to to uh, how can I describe it? To provoke you spiritually, rather than rather than letting these things choke what God's doing in your in your life and give you to anxiety and fear. What you do is you see it and you understand it biblically, and you say, "I've got to preach the gospel." That makes sense. You go, "Wow, look, understand what's going on here." This actually, this it, it, it is something of a sign, if you like, you want to put it that way, of what will be. The Bible says in, in 2 Peter 3, it says this. So what we, what we don't want to do is, um, is become those people that, in a, in a reaction of not wanting to be a certain type of Christian, you're not any type of Christian. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know, it's, it's all just, you know, it's just, just global warming, you know. We've got to be able to understand it more deeply than that. In 2 Peter 3, verse 5, it says that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This is what the Bible teaches. Verse 11 says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? It's a really great question. Should you be panicky, anxiety-driven? Should you just be hopeless? What sort of people should you be? From the eyes of holiness and godliness, waiting for the, and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, which righteousness dwells. Amen? Amen? And so there's something in which we our spiritual vitality ought to be increased by what we see around us and care about our planet, care about those around us, but understand and discern what is actually going on and to be sobered and warned by and preach the gospel. Um, Do you feel like I've painted a picture? Okay, we've got five minutes or so to QA. Okay, and then we're going to just anything that you think, it, it, trust me, it won't be a silly question. Okay, but in this series, particularly really wanting to help people grapple with this, we're hoping that there's numbers of you among us who are, are new to church and maybe even new to the faith. You know, you maybe you're not even you're not a believer, but you want to find out that you're so welcome to be among us and to find out more about these matters and what the Bible teaches and what the Lord says about it. So, any questions on this? Yeah. Um, you mentioned about um, looking after what you've got, like if you've got animals, look after if you've got land use as well. Yeah. But where's the line where the trajectory of that becomes? I'm going to ignore what's going on around me because it's not mine, so I don't have to worry. That's good. Yeah, good question. So what, what, what the, the thing I was saying about looking after the stuff that's yours, where's the line between that and the stuff around you that isn't yours? What I would say is, is that on one level, there's a, there's a general sense of responsibility that we are all to feel for creation. Okay? So in that sense, if something's being destroyed or, or damaged or uh, abused, it should affect me in some way or another. Where the wisdom is needed is, is in terms of, um, is, this my, is this my realm? To get involved, or is it more? Is this more for me in prayer? 
because I do think we need a lot of wisdom about where to throw our energy, where to, where to, where to put our time, and sometimes we can be unmedalous. And the Bible says, some be a medalist or a busybody. And you can't, it's just not about trying to fix everything that's going on, it's about saying, I want to be an example to the way that I live, and if God opens up doors and situations and relationships where I feel, yeah, this is something for me to get involved with, then I'll, then I'll do that. But you don't, you don't want to, yeah. So I think it's a discernment thing, just being aware of those sorts of principles. Really. So thank you. Um, what age do you think is more Yeah. Should we think about where we buy, where we shop, should we eat meat or not? Yeah, I think these are good things to think about. I think I think that where where there are things that are clearly, you know, it's just it's clearly out of order, it's clearly destructive, then we stay away from those things. And I think there's a whole bunch of stuff which are issues of conscience. What we know is that spirit, there's nothing more spiritual about not eating meat than eating meat. That's really important biblically to just clarify that. Okay? That one is not more or less spiritual than the other. The reason I say that particularly is because you know the, the vegans can be quite evangelistic, quite fervent, make you feel really bad. You know, actually, all things are okay to eat as long as you do it on Thanksgiving. But then I think you know you might, from a an environmental point of view, decide to eat a bit less meat from your conscience' sake. That's just perfectly legitimate and responsible to do that. But what you don't want to start doing is putting that on others, because I think you you end up with a situation where you create a strange sort of culture. Where everyone's doing stuff in secret. <laughs> I think we've got to decide before God on these matters and listen to our conscience in, in, with a good theological framework that will help our conscience operate properly. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm not an expert at all, but obviously the, the, thing, the things that often happen is so, for example, I think fashion's a good example. You know, often when you find when you find a bargain, it's a bargain for a reason. <laughs> and, and the reason why is it costs so little to make. So the people that who, who made it, you know, they may be actually being, being um, oppressed and abused. It might be like basically slave labor. So just to think that kind of thing through, you know. Um, now, like I say, you dig enough into anything in Israel, you'll find something else. So you don't want, you have to kind of, um, you have to have wisdom in that. But I think there's just something about being aware of the fact the decisions that we make often often have an impact down the line that we're just not aware of. So just trying to be aware of that. Again, I think it's just part of God's heart. Kept um, before justice, be part of God's heart. Um, by the same time, um, you don't want to find yourself in a situation where it's all you're ever thinking about. It's just absorbing it as part of your framework, and then as you become aware of things. Operating wisely out. Um, and on the matter to what extent should it be like a question of conscience for the individual or like for the body? Because I know that it's quite, for me personally, it's quite difficult to know the ins and outs of what implications buying from pork shops has. Um, and so is it, is it like a shared conscience? Do we have shared positions? And actually, we know collectively as a, as a body that certain things are wrong and have an uh, or should we all become sort of semi-experts? Uh, <laughs> it's a good question, yeah. To what extent do we individually and corporately um, apply these matters? I'm not really given that 
probably the kind of thought that I should judge. So I've not got a very good answer um, on that. I think in principle, I think there's something about one's individual conscience and God that is very important. I think obviously families and households as well need to make decisions together. And then I think there will be certain things where as a church you need to Yeah. 